But the idea is that we're all interdependent. We need each other. Every single living herb, every living species has a service to perform for the entire ecosystem. Nothing is useless. Everything has a meaning and a purpose. Welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. On the show, it's my job to tease out the creative solutions my guests are coming up with to change the world through creativity, social action, and mindset. I also give you tips and techniques so you can do the same. This episode is brought to you by my class, Meditation for Busy People, where you'll learn how to relieve stress and discover clarity and joy in just five minutes a day. It's also brought to you by the Brain FM app and this podcast host, Podbean. Also, follow the podcast on Instagram or TikTok and check out our shop for merch, music, and musings. The links are all in the show notes. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. Thank you so much for being here, and I am so thrilled to welcome this week's guest. You are going to love this gentleman, Paul Rodney Turner. Paul is the founder of Food for Life Global, and he's dedicated his life to the compassionate cause of feeding the world's most vulnerable populations. Born in Sydney, Australia, Turner's innate humanitarian spirit led him to become a devout monk from the age of 19 until the age of 33. And this spiritual foundation transformed his vision of service, inspiring him to establish Food for Life Global in 1995. Turner, also known as the Food Yogi, authentically exemplifies the organization's values, promoting a sustainable and compassionate lifestyle. And he's vegan, and you know how much I love that. A prolific author, Turner has written six books, including Soul Power and Food Yoga, offering practical wisdom on food, health, and spirituality. Paul, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having given me the opportunity. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you because the work you're doing is so important on so many levels. And before we started our our recording, actually, we were talking a little bit about you have to go feed the bulls. And I just I went, wow, that's amazing. Uh, And and so you've you've really you've transformed your entire life into one of service, both people who are vulnerable and at risk and animals who are vulnerable at risk. And I I would love to speak with you, just let's jump right in. How did that happen? How did you go from who you were before to being this person who is of service on such a grand scale? Yeah, well, it, it gets back to my entrance into monkhood. When I was 19, I had this epiphany. I thought, I need to find the answers to life. I need mm. to find out what what's the purpose here? What are we doing? And um, I was, I grew up in a very um, mediocre sort of neighborhood, very, not a very rich family, very poor sort of offerings. Um, didn't have many opportunities. We didn't even really have a park in the neighborhood. So it was quite, quite challenging. And I got away from that and I realized, you know, I, w- I want to find the answers to life. So I was a monk for 14 years. And that meant I lived on a very simple lifestyle. I practiced celibacy. I slept on the floor. Mm. I didn't have a bed, didn't even have a pillow. I took cool showers and regulated eating. And uh, my service as a monk, my first service was feeding the homeless in Sydney. Mm. So that planted a seed in my heart that, you know, this service, helping humanity, doing something meaningful was something that was very inspirational and very fulfilling, very satisfying. And, and I realized, I learned from that experience that service is really what drives us, what nourishes us on a, on a deep level. And in fact, it's like the innate quality of the soul. And I've given this example quite often. 
that the innate quality of sugar is sweetness. You can't separate sugar from the thing of, of you can't separate sweetness from sugar. You can't mm. separate light and heat from fire. So there's an innate quality of that thing. So similarly, the innate quality of the soul is service, pure selfless service. So as a result of that experience for the rest of my life, I've always been purpose-driven. So whatever business I undertake, it always has to have a social component attached mm. to it, mm -hmm. meaning it has to leave a positive impression on the world, leave a legacy. So that's sort of where that came from. Um, and, and I'm very fulfilled because of it. It led me to now living in Colombia, uh, in the Andes Mountains, mm. Colombia, where my wife and I run an animal sanctuary. And as you mentioned, I, I've got to go feed the bulls later today. And they're big 1,500-pound bulls that were raised uh, as babies, you know, rescued from either the meat factory or uh, a, a dairy farm. Mm. And they're our babies. They're our children. Mm -hmm. And we we take care of them and they're, they're massive animals, but they're so gentle and loving. And, and it's so nice to have that experience. Like when people come to the sanctuary and for them to see these massive animals and see that they have a personality, that they have feelings, that they're just like you and I, they just have a different physical form. And uh, it's very powerful, a very powerful experience for them to see that. And often that leads to them making the decision that, hey, I don't think I want to eat these uh, loving beings anymore. I want to I want to go vegan. And that's really the purpose of the sanctuary. Ah, you're singing my song. That's so wonderful. I mean, I mean, that it, that is that to me. Uh, my friend Lisa Robinson, who runs the Red Robin Song Animal Sanctuary, also, she's running it in part for the same reason that you're running Juliana's Animal Sanctuary, that notion that once people get to know these amazing creatures, these amazing beings, they go, oh, well, that it would be so wrong to participate yeah, exactly. in the so So it's that same kind of thing. And yet the work that you're doing, interestingly, it, it is not necessarily because of the animals as far as, no, I won't, let me, let me reframe that. I, the way I'm looking at it is you've got an entire project that's, that's about feeding people. It's just not feeding them animals. And that's, that's right. Food for Life Global. And I'm wondering uh, with, within that, what was, what was your, like you could have split yourself. And in fact, in many ways you have, but what was your motivation to go, okay, I'm going to do work on behalf of the animals and I'm going to spend a lot of time, a lot of my time doing work on behalf of underserved, underrepresented people who are at risk as far as food security. Well, feeding people, you know, was the first thing that that I took up. So that, as I said, the first service I had as a monk was, preparing food in the kitchen at the temple and then going into Sydney and feeding the homeless. And I sort of really resonated with that. I liked the idea. I liked the idea of cooking and I learned how to cook large quantities of quantities of food. In fact, I've personally cooked for 10,000 people in one, you know, one effort. Wow. Um, so I learned how to do, you know, massive volumes of food, changing, you know, a recipe for 10 people to a thousand people to 10,000 people figuring all that out and how to actually the mechanics behind that. How do you have to time everything properly? 
And um, so food, food Relief became my calling card. And I left Australia at the age of 30, and I was still a monk. And I was asked to set up the headquarters, Food for Life Global, and help to develop this project around the world. Because when I was a monk, when I was a volunteer, it was a very grassroots project. There was only maybe a dozen projects around the world. So I began traveling and I went to your native country. I went to Russia, among other countries. And uh, I started setting up food relief projects all over the world. Now we have over 250. So throughout this process, throughout this the journey of Food for Life and expanding it, the message was always uniting the world through pure food. And this is another way that we distinguish ourselves in this particular sector, because we believe it's not just about filling bellies, but it's about using food as a medium of expressing our love and respect for all other people. Mm. So, because food is a carrier of intention. And I talk about this in my book, Food Yoga. So in that, in that book, Food Yoga, I explore the, the more subtle aspect of food and try to explain to people that food is literally is a carrier of intention and the energetic signatures that touch that food along its journey to our table have an influence on the quality of that food, not just on the physical level, but the subtle level. So in food yoga, I make this point that we can literally unite the world by the sharing of pure food. And um, as a result of that, I, well, in, throughout that, when I was, when I started promoting this book around the world, one of my pit stops was South America. So I stopped in Colombia and I met my future wife, Juliana, and she then introduced me to her sanctuary project. And it made me realize that, oh, if I'm going to promote this concept of like unity and brotherhood and sisterhood and how we're all earthlings and connected and interdependent, then I also have to include the animals. So then the sanctuary became one of our affiliate projects. And I embraced that idea of like serving humanity through serving all living beings and respecting all life, not just humans, but animals as well. And um, that's where, you know, that's where I find myself today. So we're living on this beautiful property with 300 animals. They're all rescued. They all have a story to tell. And we treat them with respect and love. And we share their story with people that come to visit. Mm. Uh, this isn't dead air, by the way. I, I I just am taking a second to appreciate everything you've just said. I don't call it dead air. I call it anticipatory air. So give me a second. Okay, so I love, 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 love. I mean, you're, you, the, this is the thing, Paul. You are really singing my song here because that notion of respect for all life and honoring all life is one of my central tenets, too. And interestingly, I do something with friends here in New York City and in Washington, D.C., where I used to live, where we all put in $10, we go to Costco, we buy enough food to make, let's say, 300 bag lunches, and then we go out and we feed people who are homeless. And yeah, it's, 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 I, I'll tell you this, so maybe if we have time, I'll tell you the story of Jacob, who 20 years later, we knew each other, it's, it was quite a tale. Anyway, the, the, the thing that I, that I'm realizing as I'm listening to you talk about purer food is that I, uh, I haven't done that. 
right? The food that I've made uh, has been, yes, there's there's been uh, an apple, but almost always it, it would be a sandwich of some sort that we would make out of, you know, out of the store-bought bread and an apple, a bag of chips and some sort of cookie, vegan, of course, but uh, it, it's not what you're describing. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the connection between access to pure food and overall health and well-being what actually is, is it is it just oh there's nutrition is it nutrition and that that sort of spiritual intention or is there some other method going on there to elevate the experience of the people who are eating purer food it's it's a subtle aspect that we're talking about because what i learned as a monk there's this concept in hinduism called prasadam so prasadam means blessed food or high energy okay. food Mm -hmm. It literally means mercy. So it's like it's food which is prepared with love and, and served with love. So it's mercy. It's like it's it's invested with pure intention, pure energy. So I wanted to make sure that all of our projects serve only this type of food, the purest food, which means that it's not only nutritionally dense, very nutritionally beneficial, but it has a subtle aspect. It contains an intention, a pure intention which can also nourish the mind and spirit, the mind and consciousness. Mm. Because ultimately, we're not just a physical form. Sure. You know, we just think we're just, you know, chemicals and and cells and, and bones and blood, then we're missing the whole point. Because obviously, we're, we're, we're a spiritual energy animating physical form. And so if we want to really provide welfare to someone, it has to be complete welfare, which means... It has to nourish them on all aspects, physically, mentally, and spiritually. So that's what we call pure food. So the way we do that at Food for Life Global is that when the cooks are preparing the meals, they actually don't taste the food while they're preparing it. Hmm. They prepare it with a loving, selfless intention. So, And it's, this is quite extraordinary because if you ask any chef at a restaurant, it's part of their protocol that they'll like, dip the spoon in and taste it while it's being cooked. They'll make, you know, to make sure that it's the right amount of salt or pepper or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at Food Fluff, we don't do that. Mm. We actually prepare the food thinking that this is a gift. I'm giving this to a friend, to someone I respect and love. And so it's just, it's out of the question that you would taste the food before you give it to your friend. It would be just like if I were to buy you a box of chocolates as a, as a friendly gesture out of love, you know, respect, I wouldn't take one of the chocolates to test to see if the chocolate tastes good. I would just give you the box. Mm. Right, it's the same thing. So it's it's a pure food, and it's this pure food which has this ability to nourish us on all those levels. And that's essential to, you know, creating this sense of unity and love. And as I mentioned earlier, the idea is that when people experience this food and they experience the love and the pure intention invested in that food it communicates to them that i respect you i love you you're my friend you're my brother you're my sister we're part of a, a you know a global family we're earthlings however you want to put it we're earthlings we're spiritual beings we're children of god however you want to see it at the end of the day we're all energetically connected mm. we're all interdependent we need each other we're all in this together so that sharing that type of food communicates that message in a way which 
um, breaks all barriers. It doesn't. It doesn't require a language. It's just you just feel it. You know it. It's, a, it's sort of a knowing, and we believe that's the solution to world hunger. This is what makes food for life quite unique in this space because, as I said, it's not just about filling bellies. World hunger is not a result of a lack of food. The world has the capacity to feed three times the population. With food technology today, um, we can produce so much food for the world. It's not a problem. But why is there still people going to bed hungry? Now, the United Nations will say, well, it's because of inequitable distribution, that the food is not being shared equitably. And that may be true, but it's not the complete it's not the complete answer. We have to ask the next question. Why is there inequitable distribution? And the simple answer to that is because we don't have this sense of unity. We don't have this sense of brotherhood and global unity. If we did, hunger would disappear overnight. If we saw each other as brothers and sisters, as a global family, we wouldn't tolerate our brother or sister going to bed hungry. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I I agree with you, and and it's interesting because as as you said that that we wouldn't tolerate that kind of uh, that one of our family members going to bed hungry. I, I I came I came what flashed in my head was the same, and you know, being vegan, I think about this all the time that that we also wouldn't tolerate cruelty to a member of our family, exactly. and exactly. so like with animal, like with with the the, the, exactly. the non-human animals they call them, and so we wouldn't, what, the, we wouldn't tolerate the abuse that they take. Exactly, we see everyone as like as as family. Right. Yeah. No. That that makes. Uh, I love the way you put it. I think that makes so much sense. So I, I want to pivot a little bit and talk to you a little bit more about the actual processes of food for life, because we could talk about that notion of of cruelty and not cruelty and, and taking care. Of, and I'd love to have you come back and let's talk about the philosophy. But I also want to talk a little bit uh, about this notion of food for life expanding right you said in in the last thing we were talking about you said we can feed three times the population of the planet but we aren't okay but food for life global is doing something about it and i guess what i'm wondering is you must have lots of projects that you are currently overseeing in a number of countries where there is food insecurity how how what is the process of of coming into a country and setting all of that up so that you can there must be some infrastructure there must be ways of doing it so that so that the food gets to the people who need it most in some of these far-flung places yeah well, we always work locally we think globally but we always work locally so although food for life global is a network of over 250 projects around the world in 65 countries each one of them is acting independently. So they're, we're sort of interdependent. We're supporting each other. We support them on a global level, promoting their work, supporting them financially when, when necessary, advocating for them and so on. And they do their own local um, initiative and they work with local farmers to, to acquire local produce and resources and things like that. And then when we can, when they, when they need, we also support them internationally with with a grant or something like that so typically um for, for an example in india we have 
a very sophisticated set of projects around the country in all of the major cities. We work directly with the Indian government who initiated what's called the midday meal program around 2000. And so their idea was that they didn't want any child that goes to school to go hungry. Mm. So they, they decided, okay, we're going to provide lunch to every single child in, in the country. And initially their idea was, well, we'll just, we'll drop off bags of rice and grains and beans and vegetables. And somehow or other, the school will just prepare the meals for the kids. Obviously that didn't work because mm. the schools were not set up to actually cook meals for the kids. Right. So then they put a call out for nonprofit organizations to help them with this. And so they would provide the resources and we they just needed someone to cook the meals. So Food for Life was one of those uh, charity partners. So our local affiliate in India um, started providing meals to children in the schools. So they had these very sophisticated kitchens with uh, pressure cookers, uh, chapati making machines that will make like a thousand chapatis an hour, actually 10,000 chapatis an hour. Wow. These um, 700 liter stainless steel pots, which have holes in the bottom where they push steam through it. So they actually cook all the food with steam. Mm. They can make 700 liters of rice in 15 minutes. Um, and so the Indian government provides the rice and the vegetables, and then Food for Life actually does the work of actually cooking the meals and then delivering it to the school. And then the teachers serve the meals. That's another beautiful aspect. Wow. Of this so the, the 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 meals are the the food is put in stainless steel containers. It's tied with a it's sealed with a plastic tie, a zip tie, and then the the stainless steel spoons are put in plastic bags and they're also sealed, and then these containers are loaded onto small trucks and each container will feed 30 children. And so depending on how many children in the school, if there's a, if there's a thousand short, 3000 children, then it'd be, then there'll be a hundred uh, containers will go on into that truck. Uh, and then they take the, the truck drives to the school. They drop off the containers. The teachers open up the, the containers and they start serving the children. It's really, really beautiful. And then in some cases, it's just, uh, a small team of volunteers working with the local local producers, farmers, and businesses uh, who will support them, and they'll you know provide the meals. And we're doing our best. We're very cost efficient, but obviously there's you know there's more room for improvement. And you know world hunger is bigger than one one nonprofit can handle. We're, we're just playing our part. But I feel like our biggest legacy for this problem is this idea of uniting the world, promoting unity and, and, and equality in the world, because we believe that's the solution to world hunger. And we, we're just doing our part as, as best we can. I, <laughs> I just keep wanting to go, yes, I adore what you're saying. Yes, more of that, please. And, <laughs> and, and part of that is that, to me, this idea, we're all equal, we're all one big family, and including non-human animals in that is so, it's, it's, it's the thing, it's right? It's, it? It, it, yeah, it is. It is. Particularly yeah. when it comes to world hunger and, and hunger relief, you never hear that message. No. And, talking about that. And, you, and I'm so glad that you are, because to me, it, there are so many 
sort of as it progresses, there are so many benefits. I worked at, as, as I told you before we started recording this, I worked at NASA for many years doing environmental and earth science education in schools. So I've taught thousands of kids all about how to look at their environment and how local environment and, and what it means to be good stewards of, of their local ecosystem. And the reason I'm talking about it is because a lot of that kind of education happens when you're talking about the fact that we are part of this ecosystem, that we're not lords over it and we're not, we don't okay. have dominion over it, that we are connected, that we are part of it. And so with, with FFLG, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that part of the message you're promoting is that interconnectedness to begin with, right? That's so, very important. That's, yeah. that's exactly where the food yoga concept comes in. So that's why I wrote that book is to like to, to, to explain that aspect. We're not just about filling bellies. We're really good at that. We can feed people for very little money. I mean, on average, it's around 50 cents to a dollar, a completely freshly cooked vegan meal. Um, but it's more than that. And that's what, that's why I created this concept called food yoga, because yoga means to connect and then food, the idea of using food as a way to connect to each other. So we have this more intimate connection with each other because we may not even speak the same language. We may have different political, you know, ideas, whatever. So many things can divide us, but food is that one thing which can unite us. And it's a universal concept. So food yoga is not only a way for us to connect as individuals together to strangers, but it's also a way to connect with God to the spiritual aspect of who we really are, our spiritual, uh, I, 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 um, identity. So um, that's what food yoga is all about. And that's a very important part of the Food, food for Life initiative is, is not just filling bellies, but teaching this concept of food yoga. And again, I love it. I love it. I love it. You're going to hear me say that a lot. The, 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 thing, the thing that I am taking away from what you just said is that that there's this singular message, right? So food by itself, of course, is crucial to survival, but the singular message of food yoga, of that interconnectedness, it, it goes to me in listening to what you're saying, if I extrapolate, it goes beyond people, animals, it goes to the environment, it goes to the biosphere, to the earth. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that part of it, about how food yoga, the notion of, of feeding people purer food can have ecosystem benefits, environmental benefits as well, and, and improve the lives of everybody living in a certain area because of purer food being part of the equation. You know, the pure food is the vehicle to communicate that message. But the idea is that we're all interdependent. We need each other. Every single living herb, every living species has a service to perform for the entire ecosystem. Nothing is useless. Everything has a meaning and a purpose. Every weed, for example, when people come to the sanctuary, like there was a gentleman, a friend of mine who had hay fever. And I says, well, I have a cure for hay fever. And I says, and it comes in the form of this nasty weed, which most people think is a pest. And it's, it's called Scotch thistle. And it's a very nasty weed. It's very spiky with a purple flower. I think you've probably seen it if you've ever mm -hmm. been to it on, on the side of a road or 
in wherever there are cows. But if you cut off that spiky bulb and you boil it and drink the tea, it'll actually cure your hay fever. So maybe someone out there listening is if they have hay fever, you can try this. It's totally harmless, but it's very effective. So every apparent useless herb has a purpose. Everything, we're all interdependent for the benefit and service of this ecosystem. And when we talk about food yoga and, and this concept of food yoga, that's the way to communicate that message, that it's we are all connected. Yoga means to connect. It means you know to connect with who we are as a spiritual being, connect with each other as, as fellow uh, citizens of the globe and including animals, and to respect and love and see the purpose and the meaning and, and the benefit of every single person on the, every single living being on this planet. So yes, and when we have that sort of understanding and we decide, okay, I want to create, I want to live a life that's beneficial to the world, that is service driven, that is at the least it, it creates the least amount of harm the least amount of negative footprint on the world obviously one of the results of that sort of attitude conclusion is to come to a, a plant-based diet because it has the least amount of suffering and it has the most benefit to the world and to the planet to the environment and to people and, and to animals so um when we and we've we've all seen and the science supports this when we look at like i think you're familiar with this the united nations i think it was the uh well it was the united nations a division of the united nations i can't remember which one but they brought out this they did this research on the impact of um the environment that the dairy industry and the farm, you know, farm, farm, basically Anim animal agriculture, animal animal agriculture. agriculture was having, having on the planet. Mm -hmm. And it was more than all the cars, planes and trains and buses and everything combined. And that was, you know, very shocking to a lot of people because most people, they think, well, it's because of the cars, all, you know, all of the, the climate problems is because of all the cars in the world and we have to have electric cars. But actually the biggest problem is animal agriculture by far. And yet still to this day, people are not aware of that, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's part of what you and I are doing, actually. <laughs> right now, yeah. it's having this conversation is to get some of some of that information out there. And it's funny because I've, I've just done an episode on animal agriculture and the carbon footprint and that relationship. And it's uh, it's mind boggling to me just how much of uh, the hydrocarbons in, in the atmosphere are due to animal agriculture. So I completely am on the same page with you there. Uh, and and I, I could honestly, Paul, I could keep you here for the next six hours and we could talk about this, but I know you have bulls to go feed. So I would love to ask you a little bit about how how you're, uh, the practical things of this, how are you funding Food for Life Global, how are you funding the sanctuary you live in where you have to go feed the bulls? What and and then I'm going to just say it. What do you need if there's someone um, out there who goes, hey, I want to get involved with this. I want to help if I can. 
How do they do it? What do you need? Yeah, we always need help. I mean, all nonprofits need help. And we operate in such a way that, as I said, we're very cost efficient. Um, even for the most part, I've been doing this for 40 years. So I'm 59 now. And I started my Food for Life journey when I was 19. So mm. my, as I said, my first service was preparing meals for the homeless in Sydney. Um, and a big, for the most part of my career, I've actually been a volunteer, uh, even as the director of the organization. Mm. So we're, we're very different in this space in that respect, because we see this as more than, much bigger than, uh, than ourselves. It's, it's not about me. It's not just a job for me. It's like, this is something which is going to make a big difference in this time, my lifetime and, and future lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So we are very cost efficient. We can feed on average. We can provide a, a freshly cooked vegan meal for at least between 50 cents and a dollar anywhere around the world, which is extraordinary. Uh, and that's another thing is that it's freshly cooked food. It's not packaged. It's not mm -hmm. peanut butter and crackers. It's not frozen food. It's freshly made that, that morning, rice, vegetables, fruits, and so on, nuts and, and legumes. Um, and we have, so the way it works is that Food for Life Global is a support office. So we are the headquarters. We're the umbrella organization with 250 affiliates. We provide marketing and advocacy and training support to our affiliates. And also we raise funds on behalf of the affiliate network, and then we give small grants to them. And the grants range from $500 to $20,000, depending mm -hmm. on the situation. So there's that. And then the projects themselves have their own independent fundraising. So they're all financially autonomous. It's not like we're managing them all day to day. Mm -hmm. We're just board office. Mm -hmm. So they have their own fundraising. Some of them get grants from the government, as in the case of the Indian projects, where they work directly with the Indian government, and some of them get corporate sponsorship. So we're looking for more corporate sponsors, uh, and we provide a great opportunity for you know the marketing value for corporate sponsorship because we get at least 20,000 visitors to our website a month. Um, we have a reach which goes all around the world, including... Um, I mean, I think 50 to 60 countries because we translate our website to 13 different languages. Mm. Um, we have very good domain uh, website authority. So we're very highly ranked in Google and so on. So there's a lot of marketing value there. And then the fact that we're in 65 countries, uh, we have a presence in 65 countries. So there's that as well. So there's a very great opportunity for corporate sponsors to support the work that we do. And then on top of that, um, the sanctuary uh, is another very important project. Obviously, this is where my wife and I live, and we have volunteers that come and help. We have over 300 animals. And that sanctuary, Juliana's Animal Sanctuary, is also registered in the United States as a nonprofit. Um, and we get we get donations from you know people overseas. We don't really get much support in Colombia. Although the sanctuary is highly revered in fact two years ago juliana won a gold medal you got a gold medal award from the colombian government for her work with rescued animals which is quite extraordinary hmm. um, and it's the only certified animal sanctuary um, verified by the global federation of farm sanctuaries in south america 
but it struggles to you know get enough support because typically with sanctuaries a lot of the other sanctuaries and you mentioned that you you know you've interviewed a few people from different sanctuaries the donors will be able to visit the sanctuary and interact with the farm mm-hmm. interact with the animals but in our case we're in south america and so the, our donors are really a, a far way away from where we are so that's mm-hmm. one of the challenges of raising funds but we need more support for the sanctuary and it does important work too because just similar to what we're doing with food for life and food yoga where we edu- we have this really important message to cre- to solve world hunger what juliana is doing is really important because people come to interact with the animals and they they see that they're they're living conscious beings they have feelings and emotions and they go away with a feeling of i'm i think i'm not going to eat them anymore i'm going to be a vegetarian or a vegan at least um and it's very powerful for people mm-hmm. to have that experience to interact with the animals and to see that they're just like you and i so in terms of support donations are really well welcome corporate sponsorship is really welcome um we're launching we've just launched a vegan snack bar line and these are quite unique uh they're called impact for life bars and there are three flavors and what we're doing with these snack bars is that we're putting the measurable social impact as the name of the bar mm. the bar that actually helps food for life is called feed a child the bar that helps the sanctuary is called help an animal and the bar that plants a tree is called plant a tree and uh, three different flavors so you know right up front what you're actually getting into you're getting a delicious vegan organic snack bar and you're doing something measurable a social impact that's measurable you're actually planting a tree or you're helping to feed a child so we have these snack bars and it's called impactforlife.shop you can go visit the website impactforlife.shop um and then we have some other social enterprises that I initiated a couple of years ago one is called om guarantee certification of social good and om in this case stands for output measurable so it's an output measurable um social impact that mm. is certified on the blockchain so if companies want to give back to charity they want to show to their customers that they're a caring company that they you know they're giving they're not just all about profits and of course we all know that this is what most consumers today are demanding it's called the triple bottom line profits people and the planet so it's not just about profits anymore yay so companies <laughs> conscious companies are listening to the, to their customers and realizing okay we have to do something positive we have to give back we have to make the world a better place we can't just be about shareholder prices uh, the the stock price so um if companies want to give back in a measurable way so in other words not just donating to charity and hoping that something happens but actually donating and knowing that something really did happen then that's where the om guarantee certification comes in because we will we literally sell the social impact so you can say i want to feed a thousand children and and that'll cost $500 because it's 50 cents a meal and you'll get that certification Uh, which you can put on your website and your marketing materials and the actual transaction and the tracking of that is take it takes place on the blockchain and we have a an expansion of that concept called the kindly ecosystem which is something we launched a couple of years ago where we're making that even bigger and larger and the whole uh operation is targeted to particularly for big companies that want to give back in a measurable way and it's called the kindly ecosystem they can find out more about that at kindlyimpact.com 
And if they want to learn about OM Guarantee, it's omguarantee.com. That's fabulous. And we're definitely going to put the links to all of that in the show notes so that so that that is easily accessible. And I love, love, love that you are helping companies be more upfront and also have greater access to that kind of really necessary giving. And I'm going to put another little plug in for a billion because this animal sanctuary, Juliana's animal sanctuary, if you are, you know, I've talked to you about when Vikas Garg was on the show and you know, yep. I talk about it. Oh, I'm talking, I'm talking to my listener right now, Paul, just, I, I want to put in a plug for Juliana's animal sanctuary on a billion. If you're on a billion and you can donate that way, make sure that Juliana's animal sanctuary becomes one of the places that you donate to when you're using a billion. I just wanted to put that plug in there, Paul. Sorry. Thank you so much. Oh, no, absolutely. She, she does amazing work. You really got to check out her social media, Juliana's Animal Sanctuary. So just the videos are just tremendous. They're amazing. I'll put that in. I'll put that in the show notes too. So if you're if you're interested in seeing that, you can find the Instagram right in the show notes. And I, I do, I wanna I wanna sort of I know that we have, as I said, I could keep you here forever and forever. I would love to do uh, some sort of a giveaway with Impact for Life because I think, wow, that's awesome. First of all, I need to go buy some of the bars. But if you're interested and willing, Paul, I would love to do some sort of a giveaway of sure. people following or donating or something of one of each of those bars so that we can get even more uh, more eyeballs and more mouths uh, involved, if you will. So you and I can talk about that offline, I think. But I, I I know that you have to go, but I want to thank you so, so very much uh, for joining me and for talking about this. This is amazing. You're doing amazing work, and I am honored to have gotten a chance to speak with you for the show. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And maybe we can even give away a copy of the book Food Yoga. I would love that. Oh, wow. This is going to be, uh, this is an embarrassment of riches. I love to do that. Paul, I, I ask this question, this last question of everybody who comes on the show. And it's a silly question, but I find that it can yield some profound answers. And the question is this. If you had an airplane that could skywrite anything for the whole world to see, what would you say? Evolution of consciousness begins when we master the tongue. And to understand what that means is I learned this when I was a monk. In order to master the tongue, in order to control the senses and the mind and to achieve peace and happiness, we have to understand the power of the tongue. The tongue is the most voracious of all the senses. Mm. What we speak and what we eat, what we taste, has a tremendous impact on our consciousness. You can know where someone's consciousness is at, how developed, how evolved they are, simply by taking note of those two things. How do they speak? And how do they eat? What do they put on the dinner plate? So when we master the tongue and eating only pure foods, foods which are high in energy, clean, the least amount of suffering, that are good for our body, mind, and spirit. When we eat those types of food, we're elevating our consciousness. And when we speak truthful words, words which are uplifting, that are encouraging and beautiful and pure and sincere, we're also purifying our consciousness. So those two things, we have to master the tongue. Vibration and tasting are the two functions of the tongue. When we master those two functions, we evolve in consciousness. 
I love that. And I, I, I want to include one other thing to what you just said or add something. I'm a singer and the tongue is, is so important. And it's another music to me, singing especially, is another one of those connecting things like food is where I, you can drop me anywhere in the world. And if I sing, there will be people who gather yeah. around, you know? And so to me, that notion of speaking and singing and eating together, in many ways, that is what allows us access to one another. It allows us to really meet each other where we are and encourage each other to grow. So your words and your point is very well taken, Paul. Thank you so much for being here. I, 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 I'm, I'm just like I'm, a, I'm a little puddle. I'm a fangirl now. I wish, I wish I were a little bit more articulate right now because I'm so, so grateful for the work that you're doing, that you've made your life. You know, and there, there's something so powerful in that statement itself that this you discovered that you wanted to do for so long. 40 years ago and you've made it your life and you stand behind it every single day and in everything you do. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it and to give us a glimpse into the way of living that is in many ways food yoga. And I appreciate you so very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate that, Carol. Ah, oh, wow. Wow. What a great conversation, Paul. Again, thank you. And I let me stop now before I become a complete puddle. This is <laughs> Isolde Trachtenberg for the Creative Solutions Podcast, reminding you that you're going to be able to find all of the information in the show notes. Go find out about Juliana's Animal Sanctuary. Go find out about Food for Life Global. Go find out about this amazing concept of mastering the tongue. Until next time, I remind you, as always, to be bold, be creative, and most of all, be kind. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Please subscribe to the podcast if you're new, and it would mean the world to me if you told a friend about it. Today's episode was produced by Isolde Trachtenberg and is copyright 2023. As always, please remember this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Although, we can always hope. Until next time, keep living what you believe in.